Hello, everyone, and welcome to the trustee table. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance, and today I'll be speaking with Jim Halbert. Jim is partner and lawyer at the Jane Group, a crisis communications firm that works exclusively with independent schools around the world. He leads the firm's communications matters involving boards in the U.S. and abroad. When a school is in crisis, Jim works closely with the board, often on site, to develop communication strategies and protocols. He also trains school leadership in crisis management, including sexual misconduct issues and other highly sensitive matters. Jim is a frequent presenter at NAIS, TABS, NAIS TABS legal symposiums, and numerous regional conferences. In addition, he is a lead presenter on child protection for the Council of International Schools, a consortium of over 600 international schools throughout the world. Jim graduated from Culver Academies. He was a Moorhead Kane Scholar at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and graduated magna cum laude, Pi Beta Kappa, with a degree in American Studies. In 1982, he earned his law degree at Boston College, cum laude. Jim, thank you for taking a seat at the table today. Hi, Anne-Marie. Glad to be here, and thank you for inviting me. You are most welcome. So given the extensive work of the Jane Group, what are some of the most common crisis management issues facing independent schools today? Anne-Marie, there are a number of issues our schools are grappling with. And what we have done is look at the top five crises that we see increasing and that we predict will continue. The key issues that are trending are, first, historical and current sexual misconduct. And this would include student-on-student assaults. Second, bullying and hazing continue to prevail in our caseload. Third, activism. What I mean here is that we continue to see that hashtag MeToo campaign, taking a knee, Black Lives Matter, and of course there are a number of variations of these. These continue to challenge schools. Fourth, we are seeing a definite increase in race issues, including, including racial slurs. And fifth, there is an issue that really stands out, and that is changing parent expectations, Hmm. what some in the media refer to as the rise of bulldozer parents. And what I mean is this is the conflict that arises with the role of parents versus the role of the head of school or the role of the board. How much say do parents have and should parents have at an independent school? And these misunderstandings and disagreements can become very public. Increasingly, we are seeing parents airing their grievances to board members and bypassing the administration, and social media amplifies and platforms these issues. We have seen a rise in parent petitions directed to a board, whereby the signers ask for action by the board because of a grievance at the school, and it may not be just one of the issues I just talked about. It could be because of the termination of a long-time teacher, or because there is a perception that the quality of the education has suffered, or there has been a perceived change in educational philosophy that has not been adequately communicated by the administration. Challenges concerning the adequacy of an administration's communications is behind many of our cases, as well as questions and confusions about the model of governance at a particular school. All in all, from what we see, while sex abuse is still the largest percentage of our cases, these other challenges are becoming more numerous. One thing that we do carefully is watch what is happening at colleges and universities, because what is happening in higher education in many ways is a snapshot of what will, will be coming to our NAS schools in the future. Well, that's that's absolutely fascinating, Jim. I, you know, When you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you're going down your list, and I was like, yep, 
I agree, you know, sexual abuse, activism. I was like thinking, yep, yep, I've heard about all of those. And then you got to the parent portion. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting because, you know, normally we think about, we don't think about parents in terms of a crisis management scenario. We, we try to think of them as partners, but you're right. As we start looking at parents having different sort of expectations, I think, for independent schools. And as you mentioned, also the idea of looking at what's happening in higher ed and how parents have been engaging with the higher ed institutions, that was spot on. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Yes. I think I think what we're learning is that if if there's good communication at the outset by a, by a head of school and, and the board, that parent expectations can be met. So it, it all gets back to the adequacy of communications. And sometimes that can head off the challenge about um, that can come from parents. So in your opinion, what are some of the components of an effective crisis management plan? And I, I imagine communication is a big part of that. You bet. Every school should have a crisis communications plan, which is different from the emergency management plan. I want to be very clear about that. One of the most important elements is that it be user-friendly meaning that it should not be a large binder where everyone goes to page 65 <laughs> on a crisis communications plan. There's no time for that. It needs to be streamlined. It needs to be efficient. And while we can't predict every crisis that will happen, there are procedures, protocols, and best practices that every school should be familiar with. Crisis training is critical. Now, you know, you know schools train for weather, fire, active shooters, well, we encourage schools to get their crisis team together and train as a team with case studies and tabletop exercises. We write crisis plans for schools, and the key elements are as follows. First, it may sound obvious, but the school needs to have an updated contact number for everyone on the crisis team, and you need to know who's on your team. Mm -hmm. When a crisis strikes, time is the enemy, and we don't want to waste precious time trying to find phone numbers. Secondly, the plan should include the role and responsibilities for leadership and the board. The first steps in a crisis, managing the communications, the sequencing of messaging is very important. Guidelines for communicating with the school community. What is in your communications toolbox? How to draft talking points for faculty, staff, and board. Managing the media. And then debriefing to find out what work and what doesn't work in your plan. That's really important. We also include specific guidelines for managing sexual abuse as this continues to dominate the independent school space. So one of the first things we always ask a school is, let's see your crisis management plan. Some schools have them, some schools don't, but you always need to update them. Yeah, that that's really key. You know, I've I've heard in some I've had some schools tell me that you know they haven't updated their their plan in in three to five years. So, in your opinion, are you thinking that they need to be updated at least on a yearly basis? Yes, I think that's really important, especially as the landscape is cha changing, and especially as social media takes us to different places. I think that a, a board and a school and the team always need to update their plan to make sure that they're they're cognizant of the new challenges that are coming towards independent schools. So I think an annual review of a crisis plan is a great topic, especially like during the summer when perhaps a head of school or a board can appoint a team to take a, take a look at it. That's great. And that's actually the perfect segue into my next question, which is this idea of social media. I know, you know, being in schools is, is so different, even, you know, 10 years ago when I was an administrator, parents and students even 
can just air their grievances in lots of different ways on social media and also use it for for positive communication as well. So how should schools think about crisis communication in this age of social media? Anne-Marie, the short answer is they should think about it very carefully. By that, I mean that the social media has set reset the clock. Information moves faster than ever before. And we are in what we call the age of transparency. There is no place to hide. So that being said, we must be vigilant about our communications, especially when we are in crisis mode. Now, we like to put our written communications through the social media screen. In other words, can I live with this letter to my community if it shows up on the internet, if it shows up in the New York Times? When a school is in crisis and people take to social media, we advise schools not to engage in social media. And this is hard, um, but we say this because a, resp- a response will f- add fuel to the fire and get conversation arms and legs that we don't want it to have. Mm-hmm. While that may be difficult since we all want to defend our schools and we, all, we feel very passionately about our schools, engaging in a Twitter war is a no-win situation. Let's take our negative discussions offline. A good rule in crisis management and communications is similar to a rule in medicine. First, do no harm. We are often asked if the school should take down a negative post on the school's Facebook page. Be careful here. In taking down a post, it can create a second crisis. The only time we recommend taking it down is if the matter threatens the safety of the community. Now, an important thing for schools to think about is to hire a social media monitoring service. This service can be exceedingly helpful to see what is being said about you, take the temperature of the crisis, and to also see if your messages is actually getting through. So use social media to measure how successful you are in your standard communications. Another good rule is that we want to stay ahead of the narrative. We want our school leaders to take the initiative whenever possible and show that the school is on top of an issue. Social media accelerates the number of recipients hearing about issues. Therefore, timing becomes more challenging. We want to stay ahead of matters without unduly platforming an issue. It is a very tricky balance, which requires careful deliberation, and this gets even trickier with the prevalence of social media. That's a really good point about you know staying ahead of the of the game, and it made me think of a of, of a question, and and I think about students using social media, and I remember when I was a an administrator, I I had some groups of students who were using social media, you know, to bully other students, sometimes to to plan things that might not be in their best interests, such as a fight or whatever. You know, I, I imagine that sometimes students will, will be on social media that would then create a crisis for the school in, in some way. Would you suggest managing it in, in the same way then? You know, it gets very tricky when students make judgment mistakes on social media. It definitely can create a crisis. And then what gets very tricky about how to handle it is to make sure that we protect the privacy of our students mm-hmm. before we publicly communicate about anything. It gets really hard. It's like peer-on-peer abuse when a student makes a mistake about how that student communicates on social media. We have to think very carefully about whether we take that out to the community or handle it internally. That's a really tough call. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's where a school administration and a board really has to be very careful because we don't want to make the matter worse by violating the privacy of our students. It's an extremely challenging situation, and this is where crisis management really – we really look towards a school administration in properly educating their students about how to successfully navigate social media where hopefully prevention – Mm-hmm. Will will lessen the the amount of crises that that firms like um, the Jane Group have to face. Thank you so much for sharing that. In a crisis situation, what specific role does the head of school play versus the board? Okay, let me first address the head of school's role. The head of school should have the school crisis team members in place. Let's know who's on the bus. That is the members of the leadership team who, with the head of school, will be managing the crisis from the administration's side. Because the head of school will manage the crisis, keeping the board chair very much in the loop, depending on the severity of the crisis. Now to the board's role. One relatively simplistic governance rule of thumb is that the administration handles the operational side of the school matters, and the board handles the strategic and fiduciary side. Who does what when a crisis occurs? We recommend that boards and heads don't get too hung up on defining their respective roles with these general definitions when a crisis strikes. Is the matter operational? Is the matter strategic? A crisis can be and is frequently both. So let the matter at hand determine how the board needs to get involved. If there is a crisis of confidence at a school by a significant segment of parents or alums, the board does have an important role to play in calming the waters and restoring balance. One key role of the board is to support the head of school during the crisis because the head of school could be under considerable pressure at this particular time. And the board must maintain its fiduciary and strategic oversight role when a crisis occurs. A few other points. Depending on the severity or size of the crisis, sometimes a board chair will appoint a board task force which will assist the board and the head of school during a crisis. Now, trustees during a crisis are not the spokespersons for the school, but they are the school ambassadors. There's a big difference. We like to think that trustees should be armed with two or three talking points, talking points that are consistent with the community letter that's going out in case parents or alumni reach out to board members. Board members should not go into hiding. However, Generally speaking, any questions are to be answered by the head of school or the board chair, and board members should not be inviting discussions about the matter at hand. So all in all, the board can be a great resource, and trustees can offer suggestions. The board should have reasonable input in communications going out from either the head of school or the chair, but we don't want 10 or 25 trustees editing the letter. So the mechanics on communications need to be worked out, and hopefully in advance. Of course, if the head is the crisis, the board chair manages the crisis. One other important matter, if the board is not united and there are distant or unhappy voices on the board who then confide with their colleagues outside the board, this can be a second crisis. Mm -hmm. One of the key questions we ask a school during a crisis is, how united is your board? If there is not a united board, the management of a crisis can become exceedingly difficult. Once a decision is made, will all the board members stand behind it? Or are there hidden agendas at play? What we don't want is the board 
to become the crisis. Uh, that's it's such an important point. And I, I really like your emphasis on this idea of prevention and communication, because I feel like, you know, when, when we think about prevention in terms of, you know, how the board handles a crisis, I really like your your idea that it has to be a united front. And I feel like the the board chair and the head can really play a role in creating that positive board culture that would support the board in handling a crisis effectively. That's such a good point. And and I think that it's so important. It's it's something that the that the board chair and the head of school can think about, you know, even before a crisis hits, and they really need to think about that. Exactly. So so how can the head of school and the board chair partner around crisis planning? Anne-Marie, this is the key relationship. It's the relationship between the head of school and the board chair. And this relationship will be tested when a crisis occurs. So why not stress test it? Why not have the board practice with some case studies? Try to bake a crisis man- management section into the board schedule or at a board retreat. Bring in outside perspectives with experts experienced in crisis management. Perhaps an expert can address crisis management issues with your board at a board meeting and run through certain case scenarios that the head of school and chair may feel is a specific risk to the school. The notion is that the head of school and the board chair must address what a school thinks are risks. This is very important. A head of school and chair should share concerns and develop a list of standard and non-standard risks on an annual basis that could impact the school. This is a very useful exercise to do when matters are quiet. Prepare when matters are quiet. As Jim Collins said in his book, Great by Choice, be productively paranoid. (laughs) Be vigilant. Face your fears. Face these risks by creating... Uh, practice scenarios where the school must publicly respond to a matter that is keeping the head of school and the board chair up at night. How will this all play out? Because hoping something won't happen is not a crisis management strategy. The chair can also appoint a board crisis team in advance and decide who is on the team, assessing the strengths of the board members, who functions well under pressure, who has valuable experience? The board chair may appoint a communications trustee. Now, as I said earlier, the head of school presumably has developed a crisis plan. It is advisable to share this plan with all on the board so that all trustees understand that the administration has a plan. If a board is educated in the school's crisis plan, the trustee can better understand and feel comfortable about their role in the process. It's hard to learn about a plan first during a crisis. Crisis management is about getting the right persons on the bus and doing this in advance. Hence, taking the very long view, your committee on trustees should keep in mind who from the talent pool of candidates for board membership might serve the board well if a crisis were to occur. It is certainly not the only factor in considering who may be a suitable person to become a trustee, but it is an increasingly important one. Now, mutual respect and trust between the head of school and the board is an excellent predictor on how a crisis will be managed. And the management of the crisis must be consistent with the school's mission and core values. Finally, a crisis can be an opportunity and one not to be wasted. If a board and administration manage it well, a crisis can make your community stronger and reinvigorate all of the stakeholders in your community. A crisis will happen. How a school handles a crisis will be the measure 
of how a school is ultimately judged. And there is work to be done in advance. Yeah, I, I really, I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially, I mean, I, I, in, in talking with you and, and hearing these different themes around being proactive and, you know, looking at prevention and communication, I think those are really sort of the, the key components of crisis management. And I would also imagine that after a crisis, it would be really important for the head and the board to kind of regroup and kind of take the community's pulse and, and kind of, you know, see where we are after such a such a crisis and what do we learn and how do we move forward? That is a great point, Anne-Marie, because I think we always say after a letter has gone out, we want to carefully measure how it lands within the community. And we use our you know social media as measurement tools, as we discussed before. And then we can determine kind of where our weaknesses are. What could we have done better? What did we hit too hard? What didn't we hit hard enough? And the next time around, we use that valuable experience to be better at crisis management. You know, it takes one good crisis to get to get a board <laughs> and, and uh, the, the, the school's crisis team up to speed. And after that, it's amazing. We've, we've worked with some schools that have series of crises. It's amazing what experience can teach you. So let it happen. Bake it into the process so that you learn from the experience so that at the next board meeting, you can you can have a report card on how it went well and how it didn't go well to make you better per, prepared for the next one because the next one's going to happen. That's right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. I know that the insights you shared with us will be incredibly helpful to our members. Anne-Marie, thanks again for the opportunity for this uh, chance to talk to board members about crisis. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.